curious phrase in Daniel 11 shows Libya and Ethiopia in alliance with the king of the north at the time of the end. Jumping in in verse 40, we read, The king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries, and shall overflow and pass over. And he shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. And in verse 43, we read, The Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. Let's look at this phrase used in various translations. Young's literal translation describes the Lubim and the Cushim are at his steps. The ESV, the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. And the NIV, the Libyans and the Nubians in submission. Well, the word used for in his steps is Mitzad, Strong's number 4703. Gesenius describes it as in his footsteps, in other words, in his company. And it is derived from the word tsasad, Strong's number 6805, meaning to march, to step, stride, cause to march. A similar idea is expressed in Judges 4, verse 10, of the armies that marched with Barak, where we read, And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with him. And that's reading from the ESV. So we are told the Libyans and the Cushites, a geographical area containing Sudan, Etria, and northern Ethiopia, are to be marching with the king of the north, or Russia, at the time of the end. This is corroborated by the words of Ezekiel, identifying these tribes with the Gogian invasion at the time of the end. When we read in verse 5 of chapter 38, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Here, the reference is to Ethiopia, or Kush, and Libya, or Foot. Now, this area of the Lubims and Foot begins of west of Egypt and runs across North Africa, including ancient Carthage, covering modern Libya and Tunisia. These areas were hotly contested during World War II when Rommel battled Montgomery, making place names such as Tobruk and Tunisia famous for the battles fought there. However, the Battle for Africa shifted from Nazi Germany versus Britain to the Soviets versus America. A Cold War emerged after the Second World War, where the great game revolved around these two superpowers, the Soviet Union and the United States of America. They both developed spheres of influence and defense, America with NATO and the Soviets with the Warsaw Pact. The Korean, Vietnam, Afghanistan wars were all part of this great game where the contests were played out in lands remote from the superplayers. Africa and the Middle East were also drawn into this vortex, the Soviets and the Americans vying for influence and control. Now, When the Soviet Union collapsed from 1989 to 1991, America was left to stand alone in a vacuum. Many wrote Russia off as irrelevant, and under Yeltsin it seemed that this was the case. Well, America was able to act unilaterally across the globe without much opposition. In this vacuum, smaller nations became belligerent, such as Iraq, sparking the first Gulf War. In 1998, the US and NATO bombed Yugoslavia, Russia's ally. 
A Newsweek article observed this past September, Moscow's influence in Africa was at its peak during the Soviet era as Russia jostled with Western powers for dominance, posting KGB agents across the continent and sending weapons to communist insurgents in Cold War proxy conflicts. But the collapse of the USR triggered a decline in influence in the 1990s. Economic chaos forced Russia to wind down its overseas activities. While the status quo in the Arab world was shaken following 9-11, when America sought to hunt down those responsible for the attack on its homeland, the Taliban regime in Afghanistan and the Iraqi regime under Saddam Hussein were both overthrown by American-led coalitions. Russia was still pretty much out of the game. But Russia was slowly rebuilding itself under Putin. Putin had cemented his popularity with Russia with the Chechen War in 1999. A decade later, the Arab Spring swept throughout the Middle East, sparking regime change in Tunisia, Egypt, and Libya. The CIA worked behind the scenes in an endeavor to manipulate the outcome, but the situation boiled out of control. The Arab Spring hit Libya, and NATO began a military in intervention in 2011. The intervention eventually led to the collapse of the government with the death of Libya's leader, Muammar Gaddafi. Russia protested NATO's involvement, but was unable to stand in its way. Russia was reawakening in its own intervention in the Ukraine, invading and annexing the Crimea in 2014. The Arab was still percolating in the Middle East, and Syria appeared to be its next victim. Then, following Barack Obama's lame red line, Russia was asked by Syria for assistance, which it rushed to give. A new Cold War has begun to cast its shadow over the world, and the great game has started up again. Back in April, Stephen Sacker of the BBC's Hard Talk interviewed Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in Moscow about this new Cold War. Here is an excerpt from that interview. The Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, said the other day, the Cold War is back with a vengeance, but also with a difference, because now the safeguards to manage the risk of escalation are no longer present. That is a truly frightening thought. You've been foreign minister for 13 years. Is this the most scary time that you have lived through? Uh, the safeguards, um, this, one of the safeguards is uh, having normal channels. The channels between us and UK uh, have been closed by the British, uh, with all agencies fighting against terrorism. Between the military, it was dropped long ago by the Initiative of London. Uh, NATO-Russia Council, which was a very useful mechanism uh, to, to promote uh, confidence uh, and uh, transparency, was closed for all practical purposes uh, by NATO, who only wants to discuss Ukraine in that, in that body. And the European Union closed all the uh, avenues of cooperation with Russia, except talking to us on Syria and on. But do you feel you are in a, Do you feel you're in a new Cold War? Well, I think it's worse. Worse. <laughs> because during the Cold War, there were channels of communication, and there was not. Uh, there was no obsession with uh, Russophobia, uh, which looks like you know, uh, genocide by sanctions. So there you have it, folks. Confirmation by the Russian foreign minister that we are living in a revival of the Cold War, but a more serious one.
Now, this new Cold War has seen the growth of a contest between world powers. We are seeing the shadow of the Russians cast over specific nations in Africa. At the end of June, Sergei Lavrov, Russian foreign minister, was interviewed by Britain's Channel 4 News, and this is an excerpt from that interview. Well, I think we are in the post-West world order, but this order is being shaped, and it will take a long time. Uh, it's a historical epoch, if you, if, if you want, uh, and certainly after five or so centuries of domination of the uh, collective West, as it were, uh, it's not very easy to adjust to new realities when there are other uh, powerhouses economically, financially and politically. China, and India, um, Brazil, African countries are going to be very much on the rise as soon as they resolve at least some of the conflicts which are there in the, uh, on the continent. Uh, well, uh, Russia is certainly would like to be uh, an independent world player, independent uh, in the sense that we don't want to violate any international law norms, but the decisions which we would be taking on the basis of international law would not be influenced by pressure, money, sanctions, threats, uh, or anything else. So the contest to shape the new world order has seen Russia becoming involved in Africa once again, as it was during the Cold War. A Newsweek article entitled Battle for Africa observed, as the Trump administration reduces America's diplomatic and military footprint, Putin's vision for Africa expands. Moscow seeks to become a major security partner to counter international isolation, to combat a growing jihadi threat, and to profit from the continent's natural resources. There's potential to increase its naval foothold and foster support among leaders there for its global action, undermining the U.S. and limiting the West's ability to maneuver. From the shores of the Mediterranean Sea to the veld of southern Africa, Russia's moves disrupt a status quo that has existed since the early aftermath of the Cold War. End quote. Specifically, Russia is embedding itself into African states that make up the ancient nation of Kush, described by both Daniel and Ezekiel as being in an alliance with Russia in the time of the end under the name of Ethiopia. These nations include Sudan, Eritrea, and northern Ethiopia. On September 2nd, The Voice of America ran a headline, Russia-Eritrea relations grow with planned logistics center. The article stated, Russia and Eritrea expanded their diplomatic relations Friday when Moscow announced plans to build a logistics center at a port in the East Africa country. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov disclosed the plans at a meeting with a high-level delegation from Eritrea, according to RIA, a Russian state-owned news agency. For Russia... It is the latest effort to forge alliances with countries in Africa, following multiple trips to the continent this year by Lavrov to discuss military, economic, and diplomatic partnerships. Eritrea faces UN sanctions against specific individuals, along with an arms embargo. It's hoping to use evolving diplomatic relations to build momentum to remove the penalties. Lavrov said Friday that sanctions against Eritrea should be lifted. End quote. Well, Eritrea is part of that ancient Kush, and Russia is discussing military partnership with them. This is in keeping with Ezekiel 37, 
description. I will turn thee back, put hooks in thy jaws, and will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Ezekiel 38 verse 4. It is an armed confederation that joins the Gogian Confederacy, and Russia is actively arming its compatriots who will march in its footstep. Daniel 11 verse 43. The port it is developing is on the Red Sea. Now, Sudan also makes up part of the ancient Kush. In July, the Middle Eastern Monitor ran a headline, Russia and Sudan look to develop military cooperation. The article stated, Russian President Vladimir Putin met with his Sudanese counterpart Omar al-Bashir on Saturday, with both leaders pledging to develop military cooperation in the near future. We have good opportunities to develop relationships in a wide range of sectors, including defense technologies, said Putin. This cooperation is developing. He noted a substantial growth in trade and an increase in Russian wheat exports to Sudan. Al-Bashir hailed Russia for encouraging shifts in defense technology and military cooperation. He said, we see big exchanges between specialists in Russia and Sudan. A large number of Russian specialists work in our country, and this is why we praise highly the role that your country plays in preparing Sudanese military personnel. The government in Khartoum hopes to enhance Russian investments in Sudan, especially in gold, oil, and gas fields, and use the income to fund the modernization of its army's weapons. End quote. Well, the former Newsweek article commented, Susan, Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir, wanted by the International Criminal Court for Genocide and War Crimes, visited Moscow. There he expressed an interest in purchasing Russian-made jets and an air defense system, inviting his host to build a base in his country, the country's Red Sea coast, and insisting that Sudan needed protection from the aggressive actions of the United States. Well, last December, Alexander Kotz, a journalist for a pro-Kremlin newspaper, posted a video that purportedly showed Russian instructors training local soldiers in the Sudanese desert, breaking years of silence on the Kremlin's shadow wars. One Russian veteran group recently said Moscow is sending private military contractors into foreign war zones, including CAR, Libya, and Sudan. Separately, another contractor described malaria-stricken mercenaries returning from deployment in Sudan. So not only is Russia supporting Sudan with weapons to modernize its army, it is also looking to help exploit its oil and gas fields. Weapons, oil, and gas is a reoccurring theme. Now the third nation involved in the geographical area of Kush is Ethiopia. Earlier this year, the Russian news agency TAST ran a headline stating, Russia, Ethiopia prepare intergovernmental agreements on military cooperation. The article reported Russia and Ethiopia are drafting intergovernmental agreements in the area of military technical cooperation and education. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said following the meeting with his Ethiopian counterpart Workne Gebeyehu on Friday. We have discussed training of two groups of Ethiopian diplomats, postgraduate courses at the Diplomatic Academy of Russia's Foreign Ministry. 
we have delved into cooperation in the area of military technical field. Additional intergovernmental agreements, memorandums, are being drafted on all mentioned agreements to strengthen the contractual basis of contacts. End quote. So Russia has been involving itself in all three of the nations that make up the geographical area of Kush. It is preparing them militarily for the role the Bible has predicted for them. Newsweek also published an article in September entitled The Battle for Africa. Russia pushes into free country for the taking in attempt to rival the West. The article stated President Vladimir Putin is pushing into Africa, forging new partnerships and rekindling Cold War era alliances. There will be a battle for Africa, says the head of the Russian African Studies at the Russian Academy of Sciences, and it will grow. The Kremlin is using diplomatic, economic, and military tools to prospect for political influence and new markets in Africa, signing multi-billion dollar arms deals, bidding for big construction projects, boosting space communications, exploiting hydrocarbon reserves, and launching publicized military interventions alongside more clandestine operations. End quote. So Russia is involved in countering the influence of the King of the South, forming the alliances the Bible predicts. But the most notable alliance that hit the news this week was Libya. Russia's involvement with this nation has been growing. It is a nation that has been embroiled in civil war since NATO helped topple the Gaddafi regime. Lavrov, in the same interview with Britain's Channel 4 News mentioned earlier, laid the fault of the migrant crisis in Europe at the feet of NATO. And I'm, I'm watching uh, the uh, EU summit, which is uh, going on right now, uh, and the uh, discussion on migration uh, brought an interesting thought to my head, namely, um, it's about relationship between NATO and EU. Uh, NATO uh, bombed Libya, turned Libya into a black hole uh, through which waves of migrants, illegal migrants, rushed to Europe. Now EU is cleaning uh, the broken China for NATO. And now that, and now that Libya was uh, invaded in gross violation of the Security Council resolution, that Syria uh, is where it is now, um, there is another beast uh, which was born, uh, Jabhat al-Nusra, which changes names, but which is another terrorist organization. So whatever, whatever civilized West is trying to bring to the Middle East and North Africa turns out to be in favor of terrorists. So Russia blames the West for the civil war in Libya. It f was frustrated when Gaddafi fell from power and has thrown its support behind Libya's new strongman, Khalifa Haftar. The World News ran a piece on Haftar this past April where it stated, General Haftar commands the Libyan National Army, which is the strongest force in Libya. His forces are better equipped than any other force, which includes MiG-21 fighter jets and combat helicopters. His Libyan National Army, or LNA, consists of a nationalistic coalition of military units, local and tribal militias, Salafi fighters, and Sudanese mercenaries, particularly from the Darfuri rebel groups. The article went on to state Haftar's popularity has grown as his military governance structures provide a semblance of stability, although his rule seems to be autocratic and undemocratic. 
Haftar has visited Moscow multiple times, as was reported earlier on Bible in the News. In July, the Washington Times ran an article under the headline, Russia Moving into Libya. It reported, U.S. intelligence agencies are closely monitoring Russian military activities in Libya for signs that Moscow may soon build a military base in the divided North African state. The push for a Russian military presence in Libya is being led by retired Major General Khalifa Haftar, whose militia forces and Libyan National Army control eastern Libya. Russian private military forces have been operating in eastern Libya since 2017, including the RSB group that has deployed several dozen armed mercenaries to join forces with Haftar's militias. News reports from Libya stated recently that the RSB group mercenaries are engaged in advanced work, scouting locations for a Russian military base in Tobruk and Benghazi. In addition to RSB, the notorious Wagner group of Russian mercenaries also is operating in eastern Libya, reportedly to service General Haftar's Russian-supplied weaponry. Wagner mercenaries are also helping set up an intelligence network for the general's forces. End quote. So this past week, Britain's Sun ran a headline which stated, Putin is planting troops and missiles in eastern Libya to bid, or in a bid to seize control of the biggest illegal immigration route to Europe, UK intelligence fears. The article went on to state, Russian President Vladimir Putin is planting troops and weapons in Libya to establish a strategic stronghold against the West, intelligence chiefs say. Prime Minister Theresa May has been warned that the country will become Putin's new Syria by using it as a base for missiles. Two military bases have been set up in the towns of Benghazi and Tobruk under cover of the Wagner Group, a private military firm. It is believed Moscow's main priority is to take control of the North African country, which is the biggest illegal immigration route to Europe. The Sun Online reports, with fears, the influx would be like a tap being turned on. Caliber missiles as well as S-300 air defense systems are also thought to be on the Libyan ground. The Kremlin backs General Khalifa Haftar, the country's most powerful warlord. Russia is channeling equipment to his troops in the Libyan National Army. Haftar has established himself as the military ruler of swaths of the country's eastern region. End quote. Well, the Sun is a British tabloid, and therefore somewhat questionable. But a Russian publication, Medusa, stated the following. While the Sun's reports are often unreliable and hyperbolic, reporters from the Russian business magazine RBC later verified the story, finding sources who confirm that Moscow has been transferring troops to Libya for several months now. The publication went on to state... In 2016 and 2017, Haftar visited Moscow three times, reportedly to ask for Russian military aid. In January 2017, he also received a full dress parade aboard Russia's only aircraft carrier, where he video conferenced with Russian Defense Manager Sergei Shogoy from the ship's stateroom. The publication went on to state, Additionally, experts say that Russia could dramatically expand its influence in the Mediterranean region with another military outposts. According to another theory, Russia is trying to gain control over Libya's oil reserves, which ranks 10th in the world. 
While Libyan oil production is only 20th worldwide, the country has steadily expanded its output in recent years. End quote. Well, this past month, Russia's publication Sputnik reported Roman Panov, CEO of the Russian exploration company Rosgeologica, or Rosgeo, discussed with Mustafa Sanala, head of the Libyan National Oil Corporation, or the NOC, the conduction of exploration works in Libya. End quote. So again, Russia's interests in Libya are both military and economic, especially around oil and gas. The new Cold War the world is seeing develop is the preparation of the Gogian Confederacy described in Ezekiel. We read in chapter 38, verse 7, Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Strong's define this word prepared as to set up, firmly establish, secure, direct, to, de- to make ready, and also to provide for, furnish, direct toward, and arrange. This is exactly what Russia is currently doing with these nations. It is recorded as being in an alliance with. It is securing them and furnishing them with arms, making them ready for the conflict that is coming in the very near future. The question for us is, as we watch the Bible vividly alive in the news, are we preparing for that great day too, so that the Master will find us as men that wait when he comes? For the Bible in the news, This has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.